before the neighbors start stomping around again upstairs. What's going on, y'all? CA here, and I want to let you in on a little secret before this episode. If you ever wondered how I got so many interviews from folks all across the U.S. so easily, it's mostly thanks to Zencaster. Zencaster is an all-in-one online podcasting platform that allows you to record your guests at high-quality MP3 or WAV files on separate tracks to make your podcast editing streamlined and easy. And now, if you haven't guessed it already, a lot of thought is proud to be hosted on Zencaster's brand new creator platform, which means if you all need to do any remote recording for your own podcast, I got the goods, and there they are. I got the goods to help you get started with Zencaster today. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code Thought, no spaces. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. Zencaster, it's time to share your story. <clears throat> All right, add over and let's get to the show. Hey, hey, this is CA, and today is a very special day, and I am so glad that it is no longer an unknown day for a vast majority of people in the United States. Okay, so let me set the scene. <clears throat> June 19th, 1865, Galveston, Texas. Union General Gordon Granger steps off his horse and approaches the various townsfolk, still enslaved, and captured Confederate soldiers gathered before him. I mean, that's probably, uh, you know, historically inaccurate, but work with me. He pulls out General Order Number 3, and he reads, The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Seventeen days following the Western Army of the Trans-Mississippi Surrender, three months after Robert E. Lee's fall at Appomattox, and over three years waiting for the Emancipation Proclamation to take full effect, General Order No. 3 carried the news of the end of slavery within the continental United States to the last slaveholding sovereignty. This day, truncated and affectionately called Juneteenth, was the mark of the end of a five-year civil bloodbath over the defense of 200 years of chattel slavery. Now, to some folks, it might seem odd for me to point out that I am alive today because of Juneteenth, because of the resilience of my Black Four family, and because of the still-to-be-fully-achieved civil rights movement. I say that because while many do realize today that race is a tool constructed to uphold white supremacist power structures, many folks still don't understand how tied race is to context and time. Meaning my blackness today isn't registered the same as it would have been back in 1865. When my great-great-great-grandmother made her way to Little Rock, Arkansas, where my dad's dad is from, black folk were the most diverse people in the United States.
In the post-emancipation period after slavery, by some people's estimates, roughly a third of the black population may have been effectively phenotypically white-skinned. The third would be mixed race, and another third would appear to be quote-unquote African. That is Guy Emerson Mount, assistant professor of African-American history at Auburn University. So how do you know if someone's black? Well, W.B. Du Bois said, you know, the way you determine if someone's black or someone's white is if they get Jim Crow in Georgia. If you get Jim Crow on a train in Georgia, that makes you black. Of course, it's not 100% accurate because in certain winters, Du Bois might not have actually been Jim Crow. And Du Bois's father, for example, who was very white-skinned African-American, who probably would have not been Jim Crow. What Guy is pointing out here is the functionality of race. During slavery, the functionality was based on phenotype, yes, but more so enforced on a system of titles and deeds, determining who was the property of whom. But then, as time moved forward... During Jim Crow, there was this rapid, intense sorting out of blackness. It was clear how dark-skinned people were going to be treated. That was kind of set in stone. What to do with mixed-race people, that was a whole nother question. Why are mixed-race people seen today as different from the groups we were born from? Well, you'll just have to tune in when that episode airs. On this Juneteenth, 2020, don't care what y'all look like, I hope we're all reflecting, celebrating, educating ourselves, rejoicing, and protesting. Definitely protesting. I wish all of you, my friends, my family, a happy, joyous Juneteenth. Here's to many more to come. Today, while we join our families and millions of black Americans in celebrating Juneteenth, know that there is work to do. Call your representatives, call your local legislators, your mayor, your school boards, and demand that we defund the police and divert those civil funds back into programs that foster and care for our communal well-being, such as better school supplies, or better pay for teachers, better and accessible mental and physical health care, better lending to small businesses in impoverished neighborhoods. So pick up the phone, write an email, and let's all get this done. Follow a lot of thought at L-A-T-T-O underscore T-H-O-U-G-H-T on Instagram and Twitter. And go subscribe on our website, lottothought.com. And a real quick shout out for the musical accompaniment of this little Lotto Thought, Cyrus Chestnut for that wonderful rendition of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and contemporary jazz drummer and band leader, Makai McRaven. Thanks for listening, and as always, be well.